The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. After a couple weeks ago when I was able just to come, I wasn't preaching or leading music or anything, and I was the last person. I was just so... You know, if I pointed at the splinter in your eye, I have a whole treehouse in mine. So, um, so good to be here with you guys this morning in our second week of our new sermon series. Jesus said that. Um, as I've been reading the stories of Jesus to get ready, just taking them all in, reading through the Gospels. You can get these books called The Gospel in Stereo, where <clears throat> they, um, they, they bring together all four of the Gospel accounts, and you can just read through it. So some stories you're getting like three or four times in a row, and, and other ones uh, you're, you're getting once. And it's amazing just to read through it. And doing that, and, and then this morning... Again, as I was reading through the passage over and over again that, that I'll be preaching on today, I kept the, the feeling I, and thought that I had was, wow, this is really important to God. Like, this thing is really important to God. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a lunch Jesus had with some people. Uh, the title of the sermon is Lunch with God, uh, what that would be like, and, and it, it he isn't the most pleasant lunch guest. <laughs> you find out he's, he just kind of brought the fire. So um, what you get, though, is, is while you're having lunch with him, I hope that you have that thought, that feeling, almost a how does this sit with me feeling of how that really is important to Jesus. That is important to Jesus. And, and, that, and allow yourself to kind of contrast that with what's important to you. So with that introduction, let's pray, and then we'll dive into the story of Jesus. Father, we know that it is important for us to receive your word because the culmination of everything that you've been saying for thousands of years in the Old Testament culminated in a word a word that was made flesh and came and dwelled among us. And in that word, you wanted to make crystal clear, just absolutely clear what matters to you. And for all our ways of trying to consolidate it down or make it into a simple prayer or statement or proclamation, uh, I pray that we will just see Jesus, your word made flesh and and we'll be conformed to the image of Christ today as we listen, and I pray that you will give us a conviction to go out and do likewise, to live faithfully like Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. I pray that, that we will uh, have an aversion, we'll have a, um, a distaste for compromise, even when we see it in our own lives. God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So, uh, the introduction to this sermon series is simply this. Beyond our proclamations of love for Jesus and our, our pledges of allegiance or obedience to him, our pledges that he is the one we're following, so often in our lives when we read Jesus' words, we realize that our proclamations of love and our pledges of allegiance to follow him aren't necessarily representing him. <laughs> they aren't representing how he lived and how he walked and who he was. And so the whole point of looking at what Jesus said is I want to tune in the Refuge Church. I want to tune myself in to hearing him and not just, not just like, hey, Daniel, the pastor said this or my buddy said this or this book said this. Like, what does Jesus say? And, and really wanting to wrestle with that and receive that. So today we are looking at a lunch Jesus had. Now, lunches, meals were important to Jesus, especially in the book of Luke. I, Luke, I gave um, all the community group leaders a, a book called Meals with Jesus. And, uh, and in that, the author quoted a commentary that said, in the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to or coming from a meal or at a meal. This is the whole book <laughs> is oriented around this gastro society of, of the, the uh, Mediterranean world at the time that, that Jesus was always going to and from a meal. And that's exactly where we find him here in Luke 14. Now the context is the Sabbath. If we can get to Luke 14, one says, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, the, the Sabbath culture at that time was similar to the Sunday culture maybe that some of us grew up with, which was, it's kind of a time for hanging out and eating. So this, this is... This is Sabbath day hospitality experience. Likely what happened is the, the Pharisee who we, we see here, you know, he went off to church and left a roast in the crock pot and he knew he was going to have some people over, right? And so he was going to invite some people to his house and, and they were going to be people that he wanted to represent him. And, and the way society works, and it's, it's interesting reading some commentaries on this because they, they almost act as if it's unique to that time. But it's what happens a lot of times now is people are invited that you want to represent your status or you would like to eventually represent their status. So it's, it's kind of a ladder thing. Like these are the people I'm comfortable with. These are the people I, I want to, um, when people are like, oh, that's your friend? They have like 1,500 followers on Facebook. You know, that's wow. And so that was the context of this time. It also was uh, typical that people who were coming were going to help pay for the meal in this setting. And so it's this interesting dynamic where the, the Pharisee obviously is, is navigating who's going to come. The interesting thing is Jesus fits in as sort of an odd duck in this situation. Jesus would have fit in as sort of the novelty. The guy that 
that this Pharisee could brag about having over. So maybe not, he wouldn't really be a friend of Jesus's, but he was gonna go tell all his Pharisee buddies like, hey, guess who I have coming over to my, my house for lunch today? And they would probably laugh about it. Like, oh, you're having Jesus, he's an idiot. You know, that, that really is probably what was going on. Like, oh, well, let me, let me know how that goes. And all the bros talking, right? And so Jesus comes to this Pharisee's house and there also is a man who, who we find, and we don't know if, if Jesus met this man along the way. It says he went to the house or if this man's already at the house, but obviously he's in the context of all the people who are either going or located already at this home for lunch. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of the body. There was a man in front of him He was suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Now this man, if he was at the lunch, would not have been invited as a guest to sit at the table. So so our assumption here is that either he was outside the house as Jesus was coming in, or perhaps he was maybe serving at the meal. But notice where he is at in Jesus's perspective. He is in front of him. Front and center of Jesus's view is the man who everyone else forgets. If you're looking at, at this Luke 14 sort of as a, uh, a play in different acts as you're watching it, act one is Jesus healing someone who is hurting, someone who is in immense suffering, but everyone else was okay not looking at. Jesus brings everyone's attention to this person. Isn't it a powerful thing to feel noticed, to feel seen, to feel chosen even? We know this in romance movies, right? So if you think about like a rom-com, there's always that, that point where they see each other and the, you know, everything slows down. Have you guys seen the movie Big Fish? It's actually really amazing in this movie where they're at like the the circus and what happens is he sees her across the room and everything stops and he walks across and he's like, pushes popcorn out of the air and it falls to the ground. And and, and it's this moment where you're seen And, and it is a powerful, powerful moment to feel not just seen but chosen. And this is what happens to this person. This person that everyone else would feel uncomfortable to have in their presence, someone who is absolutely forgotten, and Jesus chooses this person. What we we see in this is the gravitation of God towards those who feel most forgotten and left out. And we see it throughout all the stories of Jesus. All the stories of Jesus is Jesus is going to that person that people would ignore or avoid. And, And they are front and center in Jesus's life. And that's why it's important when we don't, we don't just, pick out words of Jesus. We don't just pick out words of Jesus. And I heard this happen in a horrible way this week. I went to the Kitsap prayer breakfast and the guy who was speaking, I know it's probably enough information that you can find out who it was, but uh, what he said is he was trying to separate. I agree that the social gospel is wrong, but what he was saying is he goes, you know, if you take the book of John, a whole gospel, Jesus never talks about the poor in the book of John. And so what he was saying is he goes, Jesus came to save. Absolutely true, Jesus came to save. The question is, what does that look like in Jesus' saving acts on earth? 
right? (laughs) Who does he sit with in John 4? The Samaritan woman who is away from the rest of her people because she's a reject. Like the gospel action, the embodied gospel is a gospel that seeks out those who feel most hurting, forgotten, lost, lonely. If you are not needing a doctor, you don't go to one. But what he's saying is, is this world is sick and I've come as the great physician. So you have to know that you need help. And so, so when, when we try to go like, hey, there's, no, there's social gospel and there's the gospel, it's like Jesus came to seek and save the lost and the lost are people who know they are, right? Who, who go, I just feel left out and lonely. I feel poor of spirit. This is who I am. And who will save me? How would this rich, great God, King of kings and Lord of lords ever notice me? And that's the, that's the start to God going, oh, that's the one whose heart is humble and contrite and ready to receive my word. You know, and, and this person was, because watch, as Jesus invites people in to see what he's seeing and notice what he's noticing, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He goes, I want to invite you guys in to see what's going on here, but they remain silent. It's frustrating. Jesus is like, man, I want you to see the heart of God and the value of God, this, that he values this individual. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Jesus is like, I don't want you to witness what's going to go down here. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to address these people's heart and just go ahead. <clears throat> so that guy leaves and Jesus says this. This is act two. Jesus diagnosing their silence. Jesus diagnosing why they are silent. Why are they silent? And he goes in, he, listen, he says, he asked them if one of you has a child uh, or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will they not immediately pull him out? Will he not immediately care? What he's doing is he goes, oh, man, imagine that, that your, your child, you have a four-year-old, you know, they're, they're rambunctious and they're walking around and they don't know where they're going. They fall into a hole. He goes, are you gonna be like, sorry, it's the Sabbath. I'm gonna just wait. He goes, no. That, and, and the, the, the uh, aggressive, like this has, something has to happen in that moment that you're feeling is the value, the heart of God. That's what God feels. When Jesus saw that man who needed healing, he felt the same way that a parent does when they just, no, I just need to rescue my child. That's, that's what God is feeling. Man, I just, oh, I want to rescue him. I want to save him. And then he goes on to say this. Notice the, noticing they again were silent, he tells them this. And, and I want you to know that Jesus isn't just like concerned with manners. Right now, he's... He's asking them a question and he's telling them this so they could see the diagnosis on their hearts. When he noticed that the guests had picked places of honors at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who's invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Now, at a a just quick glance, we can think, well, he's just telling him it's bad manners to pick the best place for yourself. But what he's doing is he's, He's diagnosing their hearts, what's keeping them from seeing those who are poor, 
those who are crippled, those who are lame, those who, who need someone to seek them out and pursue them. He is diagnosing their silence and we have this same sickness too. People that we don't notice anymore. People who come around, we're just okay with not inviting over to a meal. We're okay seeing the way Jesus acts and we go, man, isn't Jesus's heart beautiful? Never realizing, man, why does my heart not feel like Jesus's heart feels? And why don't I act like Jesus acts? And what he's saying is, you are so focused on your own success you're so focused on your own position, how you appear, you want to leverage relationships, position yourself, feel like you belong by being around people that seem confident. Because that's what's going on in your heart. And, and because of that, it, you don't, you're not able to make yourself vulnerable to those that feel vulnerable. You're not able to, to see the person who is blind and, and man, I don't even see sometimes. Like, do I even see the person who can't see? Do I, do I care enough to go out of my way? So Jesus is diagnosing their heart, going, you're, you're just focused in the right. What was in front of Jesus was not in front of these people. And so Jesus prescribes a solution. And it's amazing because we get so, I think, focused on the, the gospel being something that is just, you just need to say that Jesus lived, died, raised from the dead, and put your faith in him, and then, and then that, that is... Jesus is representing an embodied gospel, a whole gospel that changes the whole life. All of a sudden, it can't be a dualism. And what I mean by that is like your soul's okay, but your body, whatever happens here. He's going, this is the, this is the whole gospel I'm giving you. And so the way the whole gospel works out is when you're saved, then you live in a specific way. You live like Jesus. And this is the way it looks. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And I think when we hear what Jesus says, it is hard for us because we're like, Jesus, you didn't just say the gospel and say you'll be repaid when the righteous. Why didn't you? Because Jesus... All throughout, remember, take it all in context. Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and life. Jesus is presenting him as the only way to the Father. That unless you believe in him, you will perish. That Jesus is representing himself as the only way to be reconciled to God. But he goes, in doing that, then this is how I, I want you to live that out. He goes, do you notice how I... I live, who I eat with, and, and for you, this is what I want you to do. The, what I'm diagnosing you with in your silence, he goes, the, what I'm, I'm prescribing as a solution is to fill your guest list with people that can never invite you back. <laughs> That's gonna start transforming your life. So many of us, we pray, we pray, God, make me more tenderhearted. We pray, man, God, I, I'm just tired of not getting you. I'm just tired of not loving like you. I'm tired of not seeing you. And, and, and it's just become fully cerebral. Belief is just a thought for us. And Jesus is going, okay, you want to live like me? You want to love like me? 
then fill your guest list with people who, I, who are in front and center for me. Jesus is going, okay, you're praying about it. Good, now I'm going to show you people in your life that you can invite over for lunch. Right? And so vent your frustration by going, oh man, I just need to have a more open home. So this is the way it plays out in our lives. What Jesus is saying is, have any of us tried? Will you try to actually obey his words? What this looks like is 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Who's coming over to your home? It's, it's not just like, faith isn't just something that we're like, oh, I just need faith. Jesus is going, I, I've shown you a way to go and, and live in obedience. And Jesus will be walking with you all along the way. So that is a sincere question. Who is coming over to your house for dinner? Who is coming over? This isn't like, this isn't like, what does he mean by lunch? What is, the, what is dinner in Greek? It literally is just a meal. You're having people over. And in that act, in that act, the gospel is being embodied in your life. And Jesus is there present, transforming your heart. That is the prescription. God is not being a killjoy. God is. It says, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And, and what he's doing is he's inviting you and having an open home to enjoy him and to experience his joy because the experiences you will have, the colorful conversation you will have, the, you know, the people you will meet and the transformation of your heart will be immense and you'll experience the gospel in a way you never, never have before. And so at the end, Jesus tells a story to help this come alive. Everything he's shared. <clears throat> and, and it's kind of 15, it's a funny verse. It says, when one of those at the table heard this, they said, blessed is one who eats the feast in the kingdom of God. It's like one of them who was silent was like, they kind of saw the tables turning, you know, so they're like, I'll offer something. And they're just like, hey, blessed is those. And Jesus is like, oh, we're going there? And so, so, he tells his story. Uh, and this is how the story goes. A certain man, before I share this, this 16 to the end of the, our section here, verse 24, um, was the last verses that D.L. Moody, who was this great evangelist in the end of the 19th century, uh, these were the last verses he ever preached in a sermon called Excuses to college students in Kansas City. And, and with that theme, excuses, I want you to, to hear this with me. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything, it's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to, to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. Hello, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's right. They're all valid excuses. The, the interesting thing is, as I was reading about this, they were saying, you know, a, a feast or a banquet in, uh, 
in this time was uh, very different than we have today. There's, you know, banquets take a lot of preparation, but we like don't have to kill an animal. Um, you know, I could just be like, hey, come over tonight and I'm getting like the 24 piece meal from QFC. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> it's quite a big ordeal here. And so, so the, the invitations would have been sent out a long time ago. Everyone would have known. And this isn't like, hey, like, hey, tonight my, my you know, master's giving a feast. It's a, no, this would have been like long preparation. So they, they would have anticipated. And, and here, isn't it, Jesus is so smart. I mean, think about this. What I just said is like, oh yeah, that's like the Old Testament. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you should have expected the Messiah. What would it be like? Because we have this invitation to wait for him. And that's, that's the way he's telling the story. The invitation's gone out a long time ago. The banquet's prepared. Here he is. Are you ready to come? Well, sorry. I just, I'm busy tonight. I, you know, bought a field. Well, that would take a long time also. <laughs> All right. Oh, I just got some oxen. Well, that would take quite a bit of time too. Got married. That takes time. So all these things, right? There's, there's knowledge here. There's knowledge that the banquet would be coming. There's knowledge of how your actions would affect your readiness for the banquet. Think of that knowledge, 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 all these things that we have. And then what happens? The servant comes back and reported this to his master and the owner of the house began, became angry and ordered the servants, go quickly to the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. And the master told the servant, go out to the roads and lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And I, and I gosh, I think about the humility of God. Like, like he, compel them to come. I mean, think of the, the long anticipation of the Messiah that would come, Jesus that would come. And it says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. This one who came and he's like, God, here I am. You know, and, and people were like, sorry. Like you're not, I am gonna have you over to my, lunch, my house for lunch today, but you're just kind of a novelty. You know, like that's the way the Messiah was treated. And, and, and yeah, God, his heart, like his, the, the, the child that falls in the hole, he's like, man, I just wanna rescue him. I just wanna pull him out. And that's the heart to compel them to come. Whatever, whatever it takes, I just want, let them know how great the feast will be. Let them know just how much I want them to come, how, how much I want them to be here with me. And then he says, and tell you that not one of those who were invited to the banquet, not one of those with the early invitation, the, the, you know, the embroidered card, will be able to come and get a taste of the banquet. One of the um, other translations I were reading of this, it says this, I say to you all, the one who receives an invitation to the feast with me and makes excuses will never enjoy the banquet. The one who makes excuses. And that, that word excuses like really hit home to me. I think of this whole sermon series is called Jesus Said That. And, and I think, guys, are we hearing the words of Jesus and are we making excuses? Are, are, we, are we trying to make the gospel this thing that we can just think? And, and we don't have to do. The gospel invites full engagement, invites your whole life. Jesus says, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, 
You'll, have, you'll never be my disciple. That sounds like a lot of doing. We're not saved by that, but we participate by that. We enjoy by that. We're transformed by that. I'm not saying you have to earn your salvation. I'm saying your salvation invites full participation. Does that make sense? He's saying you will never enjoy the feast unless you're coming to it. And you know who's coming to the feast? You know who will be there? The poor, the blind, the lame. So invite them to your house. Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up. Who will be at your house for dinner? The big idea of today is simply this. The people we invite to dinner reveal our response to God's invitation. The people that we invite into our lives reveal how we've responded to God's invitation to come. There's no getting around that. You know, no excuses, nothing that's like, oh, I just don't have time. Like, you, you do, you're, you're actually, your life is made of time. How are you using it? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be convicting, like, this is for me too. I, this isn't like you and I, like, how will we do this? How will we live the gospel? Because this is what Jesus said. And this is how we obey his words. Pray with me. Father, please show us your way. Um, I know you've, you've shown us over and over again. And just that invitation you give, I pray that we'll hear it again today. You're compelling to come. You're compelling to join you. You have done the greatest thing for us, the thing that we could not do. You've made peace for us with yourself by the death and resurrection of Jesus. I pray that we will go make peace in the world. We will go be peacemakers. I pray that you will transform by your spirit uh, and our obedience. You'll transform our schedules. And so we will really go out and be like you in the world. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. coming into a time of